Good morning. Welcome again to Noblesville First. I'm Matt Hantelman, one of the pastors here at Noblesville First, and I'm glad that you're joining us this morning. I want to welcome you to week three of our Beyond the Election series, where we're going to acknowledge that regardless of who wins in November, there's going to be a divide in our country that persists, and we need to learn as Christians how to best honor God in working towards the reconciliation of all things back to God. This week, we'll be looking at applying John Wesley's three simple rules to this season in our community. Do no harm, do good, and stay in love with God, with each pastor taking a rule. That gives me do no harm. And I chose the Philippians passage because I think one of the things that can cause us to do harm is thinking too much of ourselves. A reminder of what verse 3 and 4 said, Don't do anything for selfish purposes, but with humility think of others as better than yourselves. Instead of each person watching out for their own good, watch out for what is better for others. These are words from Paul about how we should be living our whole lives, not just during an election season. But that does lead me to ask, are we actually thinking of others as better than ourselves and watching out for what is better for others when we vote, when we go shopping, when we live our lives? Can we honestly say that the actions we are taking in this political season and beyond are making life better for the least of these? When thinking about do no harm, my inclination is to get into semantics. I, what is harm? Is there a difference between doing harm and simply accepting harm that is being done? I typically want to define terms and be explicit so I understand what we're talking about. But that's also one of the traps that the religious elite in the days of Jesus fell into. They wanted their lists. Okay, do not murder. Okay, well, what does murder mean? And then they would define it. And they, so they knew exactly what they could do and they could not do. And then Jesus comes along and says, no, no, you, you missed the point. I mean, sure, don't kill each other, but I'm interested in your heart. God cares about your heart. Don't just not kill, but look at your anger as well, because that is what is causing division and breaking communities. Doing no harm isn't just not killing. It's being in control of ourselves enough to give that control to God and live filled with the love of God towards our neighbors. Now, I get it. When it comes to politics, do no harm isn't really an attainable goal. We try to look at what does the least harm, perhaps. Looking beyond the election, though, not doing harm isn't just about who you vote for, because thinking of others as better than yourself isn't a politically motivated idea. It's a godly idea. Once we've moved beyond the election, how do we live in Christ-filled community filled with people who voted for both candidates? And honestly, I don't have a great answer for that. I've been talking about it with other pastors, with Thursday worship, with friends, and everyone seems to kind of land on, 
I know we're supposed to love everyone, but there are those who would be okay with types of people not having equal rights. And I don't think I'm supposed to be okay with that. How do I maintain a loving relationship while at the same time fighting against what they seem to believe in? How do I do no harm while in community with Christians that I perceive to be doing harm? I think in times like these, in highly emotional political seasons, it can be deceptively easy to believe things that Jesus taught and commanded are actually just today's political rhetoric and baggage. When considering doing no harm, I invite you to remember these things that Jesus taught. Jesus taught us to fight for the poor and against oppression. Jesus told us to love our neighbors and feed the hungry. Jesus told us to welcome the immigrant and spent time building community with the outcasts of society. Jesus told those that were just trying to follow the rules that their rules were messed up. He told them it was so much more than just avoiding murder or adultery or paying back an eye for an eye. Doing no harm means truly giving yourself to God and seeing everyone as God's creation and caring about them more than yourself. When this election season is over, our call to do no harm will be as hard as it has ever been as we work towards reconciling divides while making sure that we ourselves are not contributing to the hurt that is in the world. And that is a call for all of us, even beyond the election. Good morning. I'm Pastor Jill, and it's really glad to see I'm really glad to see all of you here this morning or virtually. Welcome. Well, as we began to think about this series, we thought that the rules of John Wesley, these three simple rules, would be a good thing to do. And um, we almost drew straws, but didn't quite. But I picked do or do good. So Matt, do no harm. I'm talking about doing good. So with that, we're going to look at a little bit of John Wesley's writings to see what he said about this. In one of his journals, he writes these words. His servant I am, and as such am employed according to the plain direction of his word, as I have opportunity, doing good unto all. And his providence clearly concurs with his word, which has disengaged me from all things else, that I might singly attend on this very thing, and go about doing good. And elsewhere, he says, there is scarce any possible way of doing good for which here is not daily occasion. Here are poor families to be relieved. Here are children to be educated. Here are workhouses wherein both young and old gladly receive the word of exhortation. Here are the prisons, and therein a complication of all human wants. To do good is a serious challenge from John Wesley and a command from Jesus. But what does it mean for us to do good in our divided and hurting society? It might sound simple, but doing good is not 
always an easy practice, especially when doing good entails doing good unto those who perhaps intend harm upon us or who do not hold the same values and opinions that we do. Doing good, then, is a choice. It is a way of living that requires continual assessment of our lives and the ways that we treat one another. Doing good will require courage to go a step further than do no harm. It's one thing to simply let a person or situation be by making the choice to do no harm. It is another to go about doing good when sometimes there is not much goodness to be found. When we make the choice to do good, we do this without measuring our success or seeking the praise of others. We do good in order to follow the heart of Jesus. It is something that is in our control and that we do to honor God and to do our part to do good and be a force for good in the world. Now, are there any uh, Friends fans here, the show Friends? Okay, more than the 8.30, (laughs) so good, good. So if you're watching online, you know, Joey's famous line, how you doing? You could type that in the chat and do do a response there. Well, one of the episodes that sticks with me the most is the one where Phoebe and Joey have a disagreement about whether or not there is such a thing as a selfless good deed. So we're going to take a look at their initial conversation about this. I'm sorry, Phoebes. I just, you know, I just wanted to do a good deed, like, like you did with the babies. This isn't a good deed. You just want to get on TV. This is totally selfish. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What about you having those babies for your brother? Talk about selfish. <laughs> Uh, well, yeah, it was a really nice thing and all, but it made you feel really good, right? Yeah, so? Well, it made you feel good, so that makes it selfish. Look, there's no unselfish good deeds, sorry. Yes, there are. There are totally good deeds that are selfless. Well, may I ask for one example? Yeah, it's, you know, there's... No, you may not. <laughs> That's because all people are selfish. Are you calling me selfish? Are you calling you people? (laughs) Yeah, well, sorry to burst that bubble, Phoebes, but selfless good deeds don't exist, okay? And you know the deal on Santa Claus, right? I'm going to find a selfless good deed. I'm going to beat you, you evil genius. (laughs) So she has the rest of the episode to convince him that there is, in fact, such a thing as a selfless good deed. And at one point, she even calls him from a you know, payphone back then. She says, I found one. I let a bee sting me in the park so he'll look good in front of all of his bee friends. And, of course, <laughs> Joey says, you realize, right, that the bee probably died after he stung you. She hangs up, and she's angry. So Joey's convinced that every good deed has a selfish intention behind it. So she does set off to prove that this is not the case. But then in the end, of course, she realizes that no matter what good thing she does, she always feels good about it. Therefore, she's proving Joey right. Maybe there is not really such a thing as a selfless good deed. However, that's not really the point, is it? The point is that we do good for the sake of doing good and to honor God in all things. 
Wesley came to the conclusion that having what he called the image of God fresh stamped on the heart is the ultimate reward for faithfulness. This God stamp, if you will, leads us in the ongoing decision to do all the good we can for everyone we can. In thinking about this simple rule of doing good, the parable of the sower, as told by Jesus in the Gospel of Luke, really speaks to me. It's simple but profound. A farmer scatters seeds in a variety of different places. The first is a path where it's crushed and eaten by birds. The second is rock where there's some growth but it quickly dies out because lack of moisture. The third is thrown into thorny plants where the growth then devours the seeds and the other plants. And finally, the seed that falls in the good soil grows 100 times more grain that was scattered. Jesus explains that the seed is the word of God, and the places it falls are those who hear it. The good soil are those that hear the word of God, hold it fast in honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patient endurance. When we are open to the goodness and faithfulness of God in our own lives, we are like that good soil that produces much good into the world. So let us open our hearts, our minds, our ears, and our eyes to the goodness of our God that we might go about doing good to others, especially here, especially now. Amen. Well, it's not hard to imagine how the first two simple rules from our Methodist tradition apply to that challenge of partisan politics. Pastor Matt, Pastor Jill have done a great job encouraging us to do no harm and to do good. Imagine for many of us our strategy this political season probably involves a lot of biting our tongues and praying this election gets here as fast as possible. But I hope Matt and Jill have provided you a little bit more to think about in that area. But this simple rule, the rule to stay in love with God, maybe seem a little less applicable, coping with our current political climate. A colleague of mine, though, this week shared with me that he had applied for a Lilly grant that was going to allow him to spend three months living in Norway. And the purpose of his grant, the mission that he's trying to accomplish, is to see what it's like to live in a highly secularized country. In Norway, only 5% of the population actually go to church on a weekly basis. Well, he received word that he's received the grant, so hopefully if the virus allows us to do so, he'll experience that this summer, if not the following summer. But he shared with me that one of the things he noticed in his research in preparation for this grant, was that he discovered that in secularized countries, they're seeing more and more extremist groups, groups that are almost cult-like in their belief, whether it's a leader or key principles, because they've lost a belief in the power of something higher than themselves. They feel that divinely created void that's been placed in all of us with an extreme belief in something else that is bigger than them. Well, I think there's a lot of truth in that observation. 
And it has a part, I believe, in the polarization that we're seeing in our country right now. As God plays a smaller and smaller role in our spiritual lives, God gets replaced by an ideology that substitutes for what should be ultimate in our lives. And this is certainly a growing problem in our country. In a June article by the Center for Strategic and International Studies, they shared that between 1994 and 2020, there were 893 terrorist attacks or plots in the United States. Overall, right-wing terrorists perpetrated the majority, 57%. Left-wing terrorists constituted 25%, and the rest was 15% by religious terrorists. And they expect this threat to increase because of the presidential election and the pandemic that we're experiencing. The recent plot in Michigan against the governor of Michigan is just one example. Now, these factors are not the cause of terrorism, but they fuel the anger and serve as pretexts for that violence. Hopefully, none of us here or online are on our way to becoming terrorists, but we can see where things lead when we lose our connection with God. When one loses their willingness to follow the sacrificial way of Jesus, when one loses their belief that God through the Holy Spirit is continuously at work through other people, through our hearts and minds, trying to achieve his purposes, then we start to decide to take things into our own hands. Have you ever felt yourself so distanced from God that you occasionally lose your moral compass? And resort to behavior that you know doesn't come from God. It wasn't inspired by God. If you're watching on Facebook, I invite you to to comment yes, just to know that you're not alone. When I do that in my own life, things don't go so well. I've discovered the only things that are lasting in my life are those actions that are done in concert with God where I've effectively sought out the will of God and chosen to act in God's timing and not mine. Imagine taking that faithless attitude to the extreme and deciding that what you believe in justifies whatever means you use to win your cause. Can you imagine lashing out in violence, even hurting innocent people, just to draw attention to your cause? But that's what is happening in our country right now in small and large ways. That's why I'm so impressed with the spiritual discipline that was shown by Dr. Martin Luther King in the 60s and Mahatma Gandhi. They believed so strongly in God's mandate for nonviolent protests, they refused to resort to violence that we often see today. And that discipline gave them a moral voice in turbulent times. Their spiritual approach exposed the evil of prejudice and injustice. But it was a principle that had to be practiced. I've watched video where they taught the freedom riders in the 60s how to take the abuse that they would experience so they could remain true to that principle. So yes, this third rule of John Wesley's simple rules has to be practiced. Staying in love with God actually is not John Wesley's third rule. He actually phrased it differently. Stay in love with God is how Dr. 
Dr. Reuben Job described this, just to put it in more modern terms. John Wesley's original language was, attend to the ordinances of God. Now, aren't you glad that they changed that thinking? That's not exactly the language we use these days. And, and even if we did, we tend to think that it's like we've joined the military or we're following orders. It feels like we're doing daily chores or eating food that is good for us but don't really like. But here's John Wesley's six ordinances, the ways that we stay in love with God. One, the public worship of God. Two, the ministry of the word, either read or expounded. Three, the supper of the Lord. Four, family and private prayer. Five, searching the scriptures. And finally, fasting or abstinence. The thing about spiritual disciplines is their effectiveness depends upon the attitude that you bring to them. We can either approach them thinking, well, they're boring, difficult, or unattainable, or we look at them like we're getting to know a friend better, cultivating a relationship with God who is the lover of our souls. If we can lead from this spiritual centeredness, we will live in the love and grace of God, which will influence everything we say and do. I believe staying in love with God is critical if we're to address our political divide. God has to become the center of who we are and what we do. When God takes precedence over ideology, we've taken the first step towards finding a unity that better prepares us to solve the challenges we face in today's world. What will you do to stay in love with God, especially now? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for John Wesley's thoughts. These words, which seem so much like common sense, still serve as a reminder for us to stick to what is most to be valued. Let us do everything we can not to do harm. Help us to make our goal each day to do good. And finally, may we nurture all that by staying in love with you. Help us practice those disciplines that make that possible. Thank you for the chance for us to gather here and live that out and experience that inspiration. All this we ask in your name. Amen.